0: This is an AMI podcast. I'm The Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Indigenous people are often perceived as doubly disadvantaged, facing both racism and ableism. The Indigenous population of Canada experiences a disability rate that is much higher than the general population. Many Indigenous communities contend with minimal employment opportunities, inaccessible infrastructure, inadequate housing, and transportation issues. Many people with disabilities have to manage with limited social services on remote reserves. But to fully grasp the experience of being disabled and Indigenous, it is imperative to go beyond structural and financial barriers. The very concept of disability is a colonial construct, perceived as an individual problem to be managed privately, This conflicts with Indigenous perspectives of community membership and mutual aid. Today, we discuss disability rights and Indigenous communities. It's time to put your finger on The Pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My guest today is Rihanna Robinson, who is an indigenous scholar. She is assistant professor in the department of first nation studies at the university of Northern British Columbia. Rihanna's research interests include indigenous disability studies, indigenous education and knowledge and indigenous led community based research. Hello and welcome to the program. It's so great to have you with us.
1: Good morning, Jelita. Thank you so much for having me join you this morning. What is First Nations Studies? First Nations Studies is an interdisciplinary academic field and program and area of scholarship that really examines the history, culture, politics, knowledges and worldviews of Indigenous peoples around the world. And it really has been a place in, uh, to really foster a sharing of um, spirituality and wisdom and voices that were previously not so prominent in an academic experience. I'm really fortunate to have been a part of this discipline for more than half of my life. So I am a, I'm a Métis scholar, and I'm a member of the Manitoba Métis Federation, but I'm joining you this morning from the territory of the Claytonay Nation, in Prince George, BC, where at the university I'm employed at, uh, one of the first universities in Canada to offer a Bachelor of Arts in First Nation Studies and the first university in Canada to offer a master's degree in First Nation Studies really enabled my own personal experience to foster some of my own um, knowledge, uh, experiences and accumulation, knowing more about the history I come from and who I am and uh, really have a space to celebrate my identity as an indigenous woman. I just want to get into this a little bit more
0: because I think you'll agree that historically indigenous communities have been the object of study. You think about in disciplines like anthropology, for example, uh, even science where a number of racist assumptions were held up in the study of indigenous people. How does first nation studies move away from those prevailing uh, ped- pedagogies or those prevailing paradigms of looking at Indigenous people and their communities?
1: Well, First Nation studies and or Native studies and or Indigenous studies, it's been called a number of things since it's emerged in, in the academic field, but it really has provided a space to uh, nudge a different perspective uh, within, mm-hmm. the, within the realm of academic discourse. So it really does challenge those conceptions and and, um, those impressions of how to work with rather than not for uh, Indigenous communities and provide a space where a respectful space where relationship building and collaboration are inherently a part of that experience. So First Nation Studies really has uh, been an immense opportunity to offer a particular voice uh, within the academic world that did not previously exist so prominently and it has really enabled there to be a different introduction of of names that we see in the academy. We talk about traditional knowledge and elders and Indigenous knowledge and we really are trying to provide spaces to ensure that people understand the history, the colonial history of this land and why we are in a space of really needing to continue to move forward and decolonize and really understand the important tenets of what Indigenous studies has to teach the world.
0: So there's clearly a need for Indigenous studies, and in the same vein, there's also a need for disability studies and to hear from both Indigenous scholars and scholars with disabilities. Why is it important to put those two perspectives together?
1: It's so important. And I wanna I wanna I want say my 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 own education, Jarita, has really come from Indigenous education. My PhD mm-hmm. was Indigenous in Indigenous Education, and while I've been living with a a chronic um, debilitating illness for more than half of my life. It's really been more recently that I've moved into a trajectory of Indigenous disability studies. Mm. But really there is um, an immense need to have, uh, you know, an integrative approach to seeing the relationship that exists there because ableism really functions at this intersection between colonialism, imperialism, and some of those important issues that we need to be thinking about when we're contemplating Indigenous peoples and disability. So,
0: what are some of the ways in which disability rights issues intersect with Indigenous rights issues?
1: So, there are many ways that disability rights issues intersect with disability rights issues, um, and not the least of which is the reality that there is a, there is a, An intersection of ableism that really is apparent when we are thinking about the colonialism and the need for decolonization more largely. You know, when I started to really immerse myself in disability studies, which is still very new for me, I really began to realize that there was this large absence of um an inclusion of indigenous perspectives and an indigenous model of disability. So it really prompted me to move on a pathway to understand why that is so. and it and it made me made me come to a point of uh, asking, asking elders and asking people in my community, why that exists. And it became a realization for me that there was not a word for disability in Indigenous community. And there doesn't exist a specific model. And I think that is something that really needs to be explored. It needs to be it needs to be acknowledged more in a more focused way. So there is a, an immense gap and absence of the literature that, and not to say that there aren't amazing scholars out there doing such important work that I am learning so much from, but there's more work that needs to be done to really um, understand how those um, intersections are, are impacting the perception and the, um, the, the understanding of Indigenous peoples with disability. So Indigenous peoples with disability um, as, a, as a concept Disability was not 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 a word it was there was no singular word for it in so many indigenous communities. you know healthy being healthy was part of a, a an entire sphere of wellness that included your relationship with spirits, with the land. Um, you know it wasn't just about your ableist functions and in fact the the reality was that and is in many circumstances that your, the gifts that you are given, uh, despite ableism and the perception of what that looks like, gives you a different advantage in the world of understanding mm. how, you can, how you can exist within it and make immense and important contributions. So relationality and relationships are absolutely fundamentally important. It really moves away from the, the, you know, the normative medical model of disability mm-hmm. that so many people are familiar with to understanding it from a a communal perspective and and what that means and what that has to offer the world. There were
0: gays, there were lesbians, uh, bisexual, queer, but there's no term there, at least in the mainstream movement, that talked about two-spirit people. What is it, if you were to think about that as an analogy, what would including a definition of Indigenous disability Bring to a broader domain of what it means to live with a disability. What might we understand about living with a disability
1: that we don't understand right now? Well, when when you're referring to the conception of of two spirited peoples, two spirited peoples were you know th- that the gift of being able to experience the world within. Two dimensions and and realities of um, that that identity. I can mm-hmm. see that being um, you know very much aligned with the disability experience as well. You know whether visual impairment, physical impairment, um, hearing impairment. There's different ways that uh, to to be celebrating and defining uh, your your role and your your place within the community and within the world entirely. Mm-hmm.
0: A lot of what has been written about um, people with disabilities in Indigenous communities focuses on the double disadvantage, the impact of racism, the impact of ableism. But I think it's fair to say, if you think about anyone's lived experience, you're not piling oppressions one on top of the other. Is it that is uh, unique about this experience? What opportunities exist to go beyond a discourse that is Purely based on talking about limitations, that is solely talking
1: about limitations and barriers. It's important that we move beyond a discourse of limitations and barriers, and we start to examine things in a more, um, you know, from, we have to move away from a deficit orientated perspective. Because indeed, um, with the research I'm undertaking, working with elders, I'm in a Northwest Coast community in, in British Columbia. It really was not about that. It was not about looking at things from a deficit orientated positioning, and more about how in, in, in people with disability were um, uh, contributing part of society, uh, regardless of their ableist circumstances. And so I I do believe, and I and I've been. Writing about this and, and telling people about this, there is much, 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 much that can be taught from the ways that Indigenous peoples have traditionally looked at peoples with different, differently able peoples and peoples with difference. So I think that is a that is an immense opportunity to have a different pathway of representation and ensuring that people are being included on a you know in a again in a respectful respectful way. I
0: know you've got a paper that you're about to publish, but uh, tell me a little bit about the journey and what you've learned along the way.
1: Well, the journey for my research really emerged out of, um, like I mentioned earlier, my own, my own inquisitiveness as to what exists in Canada in regards to um, an examination of traditional Indigenous perspectives of disability. And um, you know, like I always do with my research, research ethics is a really important. Indigenous research ethics is a really important consideration. So, in collaboration with community, um, really developing some a framework around um, trying to trying to ask um, elders uh, about their experiences and knowledges of disability and what that means in community and how language really plays a, a critical role in, in providing some of that understanding, so Indigenous language um, rather than the English language. And it has been it has been a fantastic journey and has been um, a wonderful experience to talk with elders about disability and their understandings, not from just from their own lived experiences, but from their reflections on even from their grandparents and what they talked about with disability and um, and how that was perceived and integrated into community.
0: I was going to say previously in our conversation, you mentioned that there wasn't even a word for disability in a lot of, in a number of indigenous languages, so I'd love to pick up on your point about language. How did those conversations about using the right words and having the, the right language go for you?
1: It went really it went, it went really well. I think it's um, it's part of the whole you know emerging sphere of understanding uh, that disability is a singular word that gets attached to all of these um, all of these uh, you know perceptions of of, of disablement whereas um, in the Indigenous language and what the elders have been telling me is that there wasn't a singular word and and that's not to say that the communities didn't have words for people with, you know, a visual impairment or walking difficulties, but there was no single categorization of peoples with difference. And I think that there is much to learn from that and much to, much to, to, to think about and reflect on, because it was about really ensuring an inclusive and um, an inclusive and equitable, equitable space in community, despite despite any ableist circumstances.
0: When you think about researchers, at least the, the longstanding idea is a researcher comes in, they swoop in, they do their research, and then they disappear. You, you, you mentioned ethics a few minutes ago. So what are the ethics of conducting research with indigenous communities? What are some of the things we need to keep in mind?
1: There are many, many things to keep in mind. And there are some really sad examples in our history of where people have you know misused, misappropriated different indigenous knowledge um, structures and you know um, and and research that's been conducted um, conducted, uh, conducted about indigenous communities. So indigenous research ethics has remained to be for a few decades now, a really important, place of consideration for academic researchers and it really has uh, there's been there's been a shift in how researchers realize that Indigenous research has to be done collaboratively it has to be done with uh, you know a a really a strong understanding of what relationship looks like and means for community and how community members really really um, need to be an integral part of the research and not Mm. simply a subject of it. And, you know, um, it really involves some, some strong tenets of reciprocal, responsible, and relevant research practices that need to be, need to be um, very, very carefully uh, included within, within the Indigenous research paradigm.
0: And also, uh, one would hope that the research would benefit the community that it, that, you know, and the people who contributed to that research. How important is it for you? that lands in a really practical sense to help people that you that help the
1: very people that you have been
0: working with as a researcher
1: It's absolutely important and um, it, it's really it's, it's important for so many reasons but um, particularly because the, the indigenous voice has uh, you know it deserves an opportunity to be shared and it deserves an opportunity to have space. That is um, equitable and included in, in this discourse, in this academic discourse, in this disability studies discourse, in a way that it has not been seen before. So, like I said, um there are some fantastic papers available internationally about Indigenous disability experiences, but I feel like there's so much more opportunity to be building on that really good work and to be inviting more perspectives and ideas and and really elevating the profile and those knowledge systems. So knowledge translation and transmission is really critical and it's important that it remains um, a robust part of the evolution of disability studies.
0: Speaking of sharing knowledge and elevating the profile of Indigenous voices, especially people with disabilities in Indigenous communities, um, I just have a few minutes left. I know are appointed to a Provincial Accessibility Committee. Tell me a little bit about what some of their ongoing uh, projects might be that you're working on.
1: Well, yeah, I'm very, very fortunate to have been appointed to the Provincial Accessibility Committee under Minister Nicholas Simons. And um, with my esteemed my esteemed colleagues on that committee were really working um, towards the implementation of BC's accessibility legislation, which is still fairly new in a provincial framework for um, implementation and development. So it's been a really, really exciting space to be a part of. And I'm—I mean, I live in Northern British Columbia, and I'm absolutely, absolutely. I'm excited to see how this unfolds um, over the, over the coming years. And, um, and, and I'm really, I think the work is, it's so important and it's um, absolutely critical that, you know, we're, 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 we're doing this. It's time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tell me just in the minute that we have left, what you're planning to work on next in terms of your research and academic interests and just sort of in nurturing your curiosity, what's next on the docket for you?
1: Well, I like I mentioned, I'm just finishing a, a smaller research project with a, a Northwest coast uh, BC First Nations and i I would like to evolve this. I'd like to have mm-hmm. a larger a larger scale of this research and really representing because indigenous communities are utterly diverse in themselves. and while I'm able I was really fortunate to have a you know a, a, an engagement with one particular uh, nation, I think that there's so much more that um, needs to be done to, again, celebrate the, the knowledge systems and the experiences from other communities across our, across our country.
0: Rihanna, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Thank you very much, Joita. Rihanna Robinson is an assistant professor in the Department of First Nations Studies at the University of Northern British Columbia. Five minutes left on the program. So let me bring in Nasreen abdul Majid and get her impressions of Rihanna and what she thought about Indigenous rights and disability issues. Nisreen, what jumped out at you from our conversation?
2: I'm going to be honest, talking about First Nations Indigenous disability community, I, I didn't even think about that in general. We always spoke about different disability communities, uh, but bringing that topic up, and I know we spoke about in the past and other shows that there is an Indigenous disability community, but we always sp- spoke about the issues. And I love how you brought that up where we spoke about the specific issues that they go through and the solutions that there is. Rihanna really put it out there and laid out the structure of it all. And mm-hmm. it really made it clear for me. And I mean, I I'm gonna be honest with you. It didn't cross my mind in the beginning.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And when she brought it up, I'm like, wow, this is this is something different. I mean, I didn't know any about any of this, and I felt mm-hmm. lost in the beginning. Um, but I'm so happy that Rihanna came on and and she explained it all. It's uh, it's clear to me that there's so much more to different types of disability communities
0: mm-hmm.
2: no it's a good point because to
0: bring up. yeah no it's a really good point Nisreen because we can't be thinking about everything all the time but also when you think about indigenous uh, people and people with disabilities and the intersections of that I think one does tend to run the risk of piling oppressions onto each other, okay, so you are disabled that means you have it you have it rough and if you factor in being disabled and in and indigenous you you have it more rough and you know maybe you're you're indigenous and disabled and poor in which case you know you have a third oppression that's piled up on top of you and I think sometimes that kind of thinking can become very restrictive and simplistic so I really liked rihanna's uh, concept of of talking about people having different disabilities in different ways and using indigenous knowledge as a way to think differently about disabilities. And not just perceiving a disabled life as somehow one that is limited one that is bound up in all the things that you can't do. I took a lot of hope away from that conversation. I felt really good about living as a person with a disability, thinking that in relation to my family, my friends, my colleagues, the people at AMI that I work with, that there are skills and abilities and uh, and and ideas and perspectives that I bring to the table that other people don't have. So I felt really optimistic about the conversation. But like you, it's a mortifying thing to admit because Uh, especially if you're like if you're the host of a show you want to pretend that you know everything about everything but you don't really know everything about everything and so you need someone like Rihanna to come in and demystify some of the academic concepts and ideas as well because you don't just want to think about people with disabilities or indigenous people as existing in a in a policy space, conversations in terms of real people and the real challenges that they're dealing with and the conversations and dialogues they're having. The very idea that they don't have a word for disability in many Indigenous languages was such a revelation for me. Where does that take us moving forward as we think about disabilities? I really hope that in having this conversation with Rihanna, it'll prompt me to think more deeply about what it means to be a person with a disability and how indigenous ways of knowing and being in the world might shape our conception of concepts like disability, accessibility, and ableism. Well, Nasreen, it's been good gabbing with you, but we've only got about 60 seconds left on the clock, so I got to let you go. Thanks so much for chatting today. Uh, that was our show for today. That's all the time we have. Our technical producer, as you heard, was Nasreen Abdul-Majeed, and Andy Frank is the manager for AMI Audio. Thanks a lot for listening, and have a wonderful rest of your day.